Hello, and welcome to Confetti Break on Unsafe Space. I am one of your hosts, Carrie Smith, and I'm not joined today by Carter Laren because he has, as many of you know, has a baby on the way, and today might be the day. We'll wait and see if you guys want to take bets on that. Uh, but today is Friday, October 22nd. You're watching, if it's your first time here, it's a live show we do on Mondays and Fridays. And uh, just a couple of announcements before I announce our guests. We have book club coming up on Sunday. And our book this month is Texit. We're doing nonfiction. So if you have any questions about the history of secession, if you have any interest in Texas possibly seceding, I would say read this book so you know a little bit more about what you're talking about. It's written by Daniel Miller. And we're talking about it on Sunday at, uh, let's see, what time is that? 2 p.m. Texas time. I'm going to put it in Texas time. And then you can translate it to whatever time zone you're in. And uh, what else? We have an interview coming out this coming week with Odin of, from Odin's movie blog. If you guys are a fan of that show, I highly recommend it. That was it was just a really touching, interesting interview. And uh, I think that's it. Oh, Carter will I can imagine Carter. There's a little Carter in my head right now saying, tell people to subscribe. If you're not subscribed, we have mandatory subscriptions now. We had we tried the voluntary period. We gave you a certain amount of time to voluntarily subscribe, and we tried the carrots. So now we're using the stick. Uh, subscriptions are mandatory. If you don't subscribe, then nobody else's subscriptions work, and uh, you will be fired <laughs> if you don't subscribe. So hit that button. And uh, anyway. Welcome today. I'm, we're joined by two guests we've had on before for interviews, and uh, I don't think they know each other, so this will be fun. Nikki Klein, who's an actress. You may know her from Battlestar Galactica, which was Hello. one of my favorite shows. Hello, Nikki. Good to have you today. And great to be here. Uh, we're joined by Cameron Pasha. Cameron, screenwriter, and he who is perpetually banned, perma-banned on Twitter. Welcome. I got around it twice. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it actually is, is better for my career. My agents will stop saying, please stop posting that. Please stop posting that. Uh, no, <laughs> and it carries always, it's wonderful to be here. And Nikki, I'm a huge, huge fan, a huge fan of, of Galactica in particular. Oh, uh, thank you. Know, you. And so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that because Definitely. the show was actually prescient about where culture was going to go. Yeah. And, and in many ways. And I think we'll be able to bring ways agree. to that in our conversation. Wait, let's just do yeah. that now. Because I want you to tell her a little bit about yourself. But what do you mean about it being prescient about where we are now? Well, my background is I'm I'm a, a screenwriter, particularly television writer. I've worked a lot in TV the last 20 years. I've, I've worked on shows like Sleeper Cell, producer on that, and then uh, Kings on NBC, Nikita on CW. Most recently, okay. I was co-executive producer on uh, Roswell, New Mexico, which is on CW. And cool. uh, so I've had a broad range of things. And now I'm also a bit of an unusual person. I'm sure Nikki will agree in the sense of there aren't that many practicing Muslim, traditional Muslim guys in Hollywood. Yeah, not that I've met. Not Definitely. that I end with, with mm -hmm. somewhat conservative values, and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. that's made me a lot of adversaries for a lot of reasons in this town, and yet I've managed wow. to survive, and I'm still here doing this 20 years later, and and so yeah. So with regard to Galactica, Battlestar Galactica, you know Ron Moore, I actually I actually had the pleasure of being on a panel with uh, with Ron during the height of the show. At one point, I was when I was on the show Kings in like 2009, I was mm -hmm. on a panel with him, and uh, and Ron. And you, you'll know better than I do. I was just on a panel with him once. But, you know, he's, from my perspective as a fan and as a fellow writer, he's a really visionary guy who, yeah. especially what he did with Battlestar Galactica was he wanted to talk about contemporary social issues 
-hmm. in a way that what that we could actually discuss very bluntly but it's covered by the fact that it's another reality it's another time totally. right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh and you know and that show was able to discuss things that were happening at the in, in the iraq war the things that were happening about you know about injustices uh in in military situations in colonization all those things in a very very blunt way but the most important thing which he was prescient about which is something that hollywood i'm startled didn't understand he understood that the future is religious in this case mm -hmm. it's the past it's galactica but mm -hmm. but the, mm -hmm. the world that we're moving in you know while i'm a huge star trek fan one of the mistakes that i think that the next generation and other uh, variants from the original Star Trek. Roddenberry didn't, Roddenberry actually had shows that dealt with religion, even at a show where like Jesus was born on an alien planet, right? He had that stuff in the original mm -hmm. show. Uh, mm -hmm. But the later, next generation onwards, except maybe for, except for Deep Space Nine, were somewhat hostile to religion and the idea that in the 23rd, mm -hmm. 24th centuries, people would have evolved past it. And, right. and as Ron Moore showed, faith is what makes us human. And yes. it even makes our creations, our Cylons. It's the amazing thing of that show was yeah. it's a war between monotheism versus polytheism. The Cylons yeah. are monotheistic and the humans yeah. are polytheistic, right? And so it's absolutely well, fascinating. Totally. And, and how they really flipped uh, traditional morality on its head. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. go into the show thinking you know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And then you see that the, the good guys start doing some very questionable things. And the supposed bad guys start doing things that people can relate to, you know, or or maybe agree with. And it's it's very complex, which being human is. And I think that is the beauty of sci-fi in general. But specifically, I would agree, Battlestar Star really managed to ask important questions about what it means to be human, about what it what it what could happen if our technology gets away from our ethics and we don't really question like what mm -hmm. could happen um in in a really profound way and i yeah I, I feel super fortunate because i didn't know what battlestar was when i mm -hmm. got the part you know i, I lived in vancouver you didn't watch the 70s show you're too young for i that. didn't watch the, i i just <laughs> missed it i just missed the 70s show you know they filmed a lot of sci-fi in vancouver everything from mm -hmm. x files yeah. to stargate to Andromeda and I sort of figured it was another one of those and I like to think it was it was quite different and quite revolutionary and um, I feel really just fortunate because then I get to talk about all the things that I'm personally interested in which is like I said like what what does it mean to be human how do we evolve as a society as a species and how do we not basically kill ourselves you know well, you you just hit a very pivotal issue, which is which is the most prescient thing of all, which is the idea that science and technology is not necessarily our friend. You know, this this is something I studied religion in college. I was a religion major, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. one of the uh, the things that we had a conversation that was actually it got people very agitated because there was a suggestion they hadn't thought about, which uh, we were we were studying. Uh, modern religious thinkers from various religious traditions who were critiquing where science was leading us. This was back in like mm -hmm. 1990 mm -hmm. when I was in mm -hmm. class, right? And and it was all about the question being is, yes, we have the ability to do these things. Right. Should we? Should we? Absolutely. And, and the fact is, we were, yeah. those of us warning, were outvoted by uh, a largely asleep society and yeah. some very dastardly people. And now yeah. we're seeing a world where, okay, we, tr we let's, this is what we can do. Well, it's and better. the problem I see with those 
conversations, mm -hmm. um, or I don't know if I'd even call them conversations, mm -hmm. is the same thing that's happening, you know, in in politics and kind of the culture wars, which is there's no nuance, there's no mm -hmm. discussion. It's either you want to stop technology, or you just want to, you know, let science and technology run rampant and get get away from us. When personally, I believe we need to be asking these hard questions, and we need people from all different backgrounds and philosophies and beliefs to weigh in, to have really, you know, to, to have a dialogue that's constructed and thinks about what could happen, worst case scenario, it doesn't mean we should become Amish. Like, it, just because there are bad things that could happen doesn't mean it's not worth it. But are we even thinking about it? In most mm -hmm. cases, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. And that's the problem. This show gets political. So let's get political here. I mean, this whole this and now more and more evidence is, is coming out, as I've said over a year ago, that that, you know, this thing that's floating around the world was likely engineered in a lab. And the most horrible realization is that it's likely been financed by us, right? You know, and so, more, and more evidence is coming out this week that it was financed by us, despite the denials of a, of a Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, whatever, Dr. You know, Mengele Fauci, whatever, uh, you know, and, and yet <laughs> more and more evidence keeps coming out that, that we finance this thing. It was like, yeah, let's take this bat virus that can't really come to human beings it's been around for tens of thousands of years and human beings have never contracted it let's why don't we mess around with this that it could easily spread to human beings and and uh, and there's no you know resistance to it that sounds like Can a really I, good idea. The only me, reason you would do that is if you were trying to make a bioweapon. There is no rational biological reason to make this to do this kind of analysis, right? And so it's like, well, that is why that's why murder. Obama banned it in 2011. Even Obama, when, who was a warmonger, banned it. Which is which is when we out. had to go around that and and funnel that money through uh, Eco Health Alliance in New York to get it to the Wuhan lab because they were still doing this kind of research there. And I I'm glad you pointed this out because I've been pretty angry recently about um, uh, just so I've had COVID recently mm -hmm. and oh, no. there's no I told I told Carter there's no doubt in my mind that this thing is in human engineered it's just very different than it's not other. a normal flu I had it's not it, a normal and, flu and yeah knocked out for a few weeks like that wasn't fun that wasn't normal right. yeah yeah and then I, I, I when I say angry we found out yesterday um, that one of our book club members and a member of our community here passed away oh. and um she she i don't know the details yet but one of the things i heard was that it might have been a pre-existing condition and covid and um anyway i, yeah. I i'm struggling with being a little angry because mm -hmm. and as a believer I know I shouldn't be, but you know, you're, you're a believer, Cameron, no, and you, I have a, a bit of, I'm angry. You can yeah, be the tables. Is a, go, I'm sorry, you're doing corrupt things. <laughs> he, he overturned the tables. He brought out a whip. I mean, he got angry. Yeah. And it, and it's like, this is a, a young person and a very good person. And it, it, it just brought me back to what I was thinking about the virus in particular, especially if, if that was the reason we, they somehow misdirected our anger. They somehow they knew at the very beginning of this pandemic, they put out that Lancet letter where they said Peter Daszak got all these people, scientists to sign it and say, there's no way this came from a lab. And they all signed it and they all said, we don't have any conflict of interest. And it turns out they did have a conflict of interest. And all this info is now out. We can now talk about it on YouTube. Now that what was a conspiracy theory has been validated by the authorities. We can now the authoritative sources and Vanity Fair did an article on this. We can talk about it now. But um, 
But basically it turns out that, yeah, it looks like it may have mm-hmm. come from a lab. And somehow I think they, they, they managed to divert our anger about the fact that, that people are doing research on gain of function research on how to make viruses more deadly and more contagious for humans. And instead of being angry about that, Look at what they've done. We're so angry at each other about our choices. Yeah. Oh, did you get yeah. this vaccine? Did you wear the mask? You did this. Mm-hmm. I did that. Everyone's hating. I fall into that trap too. I get angry at people too about, and and I, this is a good reminder of like, there's this bigger thing that we should be mm-hmm. furious about the ethics of which, as you just, I think, pointed out very clearly, there, there's no reason, there's no reason they can give me to justify doing this. And we want to figure out an antidote in case something like this ever develops. Develops where you, you, you can develop this, but develop know what you're developing. You're developing a bioweapon. If yeah. the excuse is, well, our adversary is developing a bioweapon, so we need to understand it because they'll release it, and so we have to have our own as a counter. That's nuclear. I mean, that's an mm-hmm. argument. That's mm-hmm. that's that's mutually assured destruction. But this is a very bizarre thing where you are developing this bioweapon in a lab controlled by one of your adversaries. It's it's not rational. Well, and and don't lie to people. Like, I mean, I, in some ways, I think there is a a good effect in that a lot of people are waking up to the lies that people in power and the media are willing to propagate. You know, in a way that maybe they wouldn't have before. So, but but I think you're right. The other side effect is people channeling their anger, which underneath I think is fueled by fear and pain. Like the amount of loss people have experienced, whether, you know, whatever you think about the virus, people have died and that's tragic, that's painful. It's it's a part of life, but when it feels unnecessary, it's, it's it, I think it inspires a certain existential crisis. Like what is all of this for? What it, why, why live, a good life, so to speak, if these types of things can just like take me out for no, for no reason. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's scary, but I think that's a, that uncertainty is underlying us always. We just don't experience it on such a, uh, a day-to-day level. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it, it brings to the surface a lot of existential questions and questions about how our country is run or how the world is run that we don't want to face yeah or feel yeah it's too scary yeah well, that, that, that's the thing i actually had this conversation with a close and i, I posted this on facebook and you responded to it gary which is that you know, someone very close to me just 10 days ago when you know they were saying to me, you know, you got all these weird opinions on this medical stuff that's happening, and you, you know, why don't you just follow the science? I said, okay, that's fair enough. Well, how about uh, this scientist here at at Harvard uh, who disagrees with the current narrative? How about this scientist here uh, at at Stanford? And I would list them and say, here's their Twitter. So you can go see these are Harvard, Stanford, Oxford. Yeah. Since you, you know, take a look at what their opinions are about these events. And he's like, and he said to me, I'm not going to look if it contradicts the government's narrative. It's going to upset me. I don't want to have two different he actually opinions. You said that? You said, he said, I don't want to read it because I, yeah. I, I don't want to read it. He said, I like, I mean, I don't want to go, I don't want to hear anything that contradicts the official narrative because he's like, I'm going to have cognitive dissonance and I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. 
It's too much. It's, I mean, I mean, that, I mean, I, I, mean, I know guess who he is for admitting it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like most people will just fight it and deny that they're. Yeah, but I mean, at least he said, no, I just don't want yeah. cognitive dissonance. I don't want a contradictory thing because then I'll have to start because I might end up getting convinced by it. And then I'm right. going to be like, you a weirdo on the friend. My friend's going to think I'm crazy. I don't want it. I'd rather just go with the narrative and I don't want to well, hear that, anything. I think you that's better that for most people. Yeah. yeah. Remember that character in the Matrix, the one in the Matrix, the guy who decides to go back in the Matrix, and he mm. says, "Yeah, I know the steak is real, is not real, but I want that fake steak." Yeah, yeah just make me forget it. Make me forget that I knew this, right? You know, and, yeah. and that's all things. Once you get the red pill, you can't unget it unless, like, you allow your mind to be erased. And right. but we are actually for him to say that we are actually at this pivotal moment where people are beginning to realize that there is actually a counter narrative that is not weirdo conspiracy nuts. Sophisticated people are making a counter narrative to the, and they're like, oh man, that means I might have been lied to. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want, I don't want to know it. I don't want to well, know it. And not just that, but what else do I have to question now? Yeah. Like that yes. can shake someone's entire foundation, which Carrie, I'm sure you experienced when you kind of <laughs> transitioned right from, from your former ideology is like, okay, if I can be wrong about that, what, what else? Um, yeah. And that's a scary moment to be in, but I think it's ultimately very self full. Like if you're willing to stay in it long enough that you can just like figure out how to process information in a way that's consistent and reality-based, you know, and really look for facts and be open to being wrong. Like then, then you're so much stronger. Then yeah. you never have to, like, if someone challenges you, you're like, great, bring it on. I can be more certain about what I think, even if it changes and yeah. it might not. Um, but, but we don't learn to think like that. We learn to be prideful about being right and yes. wanting to, <laughs> we like confuse who we are with what we think. And yep. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's problematic. That's why people get so, uh, personally offended when you disagree with their opinions, because of what you just said, they confuse. And I used to do this a lot and I have to root it out of myself even now. Sometimes it's like you confuse your opinions for your identity that's not yeah. your identity it's right. just your opinion and somebody can disagree with your opinion they're not personally attacking you but a right. lot of people in social justice especially view their opinions as extensions of themselves it is right. their identity so if you disagree with it they feel personally attacked yeah. and that's why they then personally attack i think because they mm -hmm. Yeah. And they felt like they've already, you've already attacked who they are. So they go right to the personal attacks. Right. Like, yeah. You know, well, yeah. It, yeah, it's like an, it, when you, an animal feels threatened, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. that's when they're the most dangerous, like they're in fight or flight. It, it literally feels like it's survival. Mm -hmm. Well, like, it, it, it is for survival for people, you know, it, it is. It feels uh, that way. Because yeah. if we are indeed living in a social matrix, I'm not even going to get into whether mm. this is all an, a, you know, a mystical <laughs> That's brain in a bat or yeah, yeah that's <laughs> okay. I'm a and so i've got strong opinions on that. but let's just say we're in yeah. a social matrix yeah. where we are living in a world of agreed upon lies which is how someone once described civilization to me is mutually Lord. agreed upon lies right so yeah. then when you have a situation where the the social matrix and the mutually agreed upon lies start collapsing then you it becomes yeah. you know, you know, my, my sisters are professors. They, hmm. you know, they, they, you know, I love them very much. We have different views on these events, but they've been very clear to me that, you know, they're not interested in my views on, on these events because hmm. let's say they believed my views. That's mm -hmm. going to get them fired. 
They won't be able to right. keep their kids. That's going to get them socially ostracized. How would it benefit yeah. their life to see the world the way I see it? I mean, I'm in Hollywood. Right. It doesn't benefit my life to see the oh, way it's going. I mean, it doesn't no, help me. It doesn't sure. help my career. And why, yeah. would, why, would they, why would they want to do that to themselves? So it's a survival thing. They're like, I just yeah. don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because this information is not going to help me get through the day. At least that's what well, I'm curious. Well, I'm curious what you guys think because I never considered myself a political person. Like, for example, when I when I was on a TV show and I was acting like I would read the news, sure, but I, I didn't consider myself involved in in politics. And I feel like it's impossible not to be now. Like, and yeah. it's impossible to relate and have friendships with people who differ. It's not impossible. I mean, I, I do, but it, it's it's more rare and, and people have to have a certain level of like self-awareness and, and, and openness that I don't find as common. But like, when did that change, do you guys think? Because it used to be that you could have different politics than the people you work with, than the people you live with, than your, you know, your social circles. Yeah. It didn't, it wasn't like a, a reason to be shunned yeah. from your community the I'll, way I'll, it I'll is now. I'll, but, yeah. I'll tell you what it changed. I'll tell you, it, it changed on, on January 20th, 2017, right? You know, it, it changed mm. or, or 2016 when, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, when, yeah. when Trump was inaugurated, you know, because, you know, I have my own, and in people, I have my own issues with Trump because I'm a libertarian, mm -hmm. so I got my own critiques of him. And yet what I witnessed in Hollywood at the time was that there was a mass fervor and panic about him that was rising in the year mm -hmm. before. And yeah. it was it wasn't even about him. It was about the idea yeah. that anyone could violate the sort of politically correct norms that Hollywood had slowly and surely been instituting and the media had been instituting amongst ourselves. And you have this guy coming out and saying things that sound incredibly obnoxious and being completely unafraid of the media. In fact, you know, he's feeding them by by getting more attention with his personality. And then he wins, which shouldn't have happened according to the Hollywood narrative. It should have gone from Obama to Hillary and to Biden or whatever. That was the plan. And that so disrupted their paradigm. I remember I was working on the TV show Rain uh, on CW. And the day after the election, I went into the office. There were people crying, as in there were people oh, yeah. crying in the office. And I they, was and I was teaching a class in critical thinking. Okay. Okay. And for a, a, a media company. And I came I came to class and, and some of the students were literally crying. And I was like, this is what we're doing. Like this is the point of what we're doing is to be able to separate our emotions from, you know, critical analysis. analysis. Um yeah. But I, but I believe it. So sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, but, I'm, I'm, yeah, I can well, relate. No, but, but that's really... what happened. Those four years were an incredible effort by mm -hmm. the media establishment, the Hollywood industry that we work in, to attempt to reestablish what they thought was the norm. And the only way they could do that was to silence any other point of view. Mm -hmm. Any point of view was seen as a fascistic threat. And I was having dinner with a major uh, showrunner of, a, uh, you know, who everyone knows, but I won't mention his name. I was just three nights ago, we we're having dinner. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's obviously standard Hollywood, you know, rah-rah mm -hmm. Hillary, rah-rah Biden. Mm -hmm. but, he, but he said, and he was willing to admit, yeah, in order to silence the evil of Trump, as he put it, we had mm -hmm. to swing the pendulum pretty far. Uh, and he's beginning to recognize that the pendulum has swung into place that even he is uncomfortable with. Right. Yeah. But he's just like this was the over, he called it the overreaction to Trump's fascism, as he called it. Hmm. But he, even he is seeing something is wrong now. 
Yeah. Something's yeah. gone wrong with where we so, are. Yeah, because you can't even have a normal conversation now. Yeah. Like, like there's a there's a there's a quote I was looking for. I can't find it. I I remember this quote when I was coming out of that place, mm -hmm. that woke fundamentalist place of everything is either or. You're either mm -hmm. you're either with us and one of the good people, yeah. or you're with them and you're a fascist and you're one of the bad people. Mm -hmm. And when I was coming out of that, there was a quote by David Brooks and it was something like those who attempt to fill an emotional or spiritual hole with politics will end up with politics or ideology will end up fanatics. And I mm -hmm. think that's what you're describing when you're talking about Nikki people crying that day. I was one of those people who cried. Um, <laughs> and I was still, I was still coming out of it. The cracks had already formed in the foundation of my ideology, but mm -hmm. I was still in it. And I was still emotionally reacting the way those people were. What and were you thinking? Like, what what were the thoughts that inspired? I thought that, you know what, let me back it up. Because I was a mm -hmm. fanatic before being a fanatic was mainstream. So <laughs> I. <laughs> That's a good t-shirt. <laughs> I sobbed when W became president. I sobbed mm, when oh, wow. Schwarzenegger won the re-election campaign. But, but now W is a hero. He's a hero. Oh, I know. It's a hero now. What we wouldn't get. What happened here? What, what I, as a Muslim guy and on Dallas, <laughs> you dealt. The Iraq war was quite symbolized on that show. I was like, this guy was yeah. the devil. That was yeah. like, oh, he's a nice. He stood up. Well, because, what are you? because they always here's what happened. Oh, because they told you this guy is the worst thing possible. This guy is literally Hitler. They say right. Yeah. Then four years later, they're like, no wait, this guy's literally. They're already doing it with DeSantis. No wait, yeah. this guy's worse than Trump. Have you seen all the headlines? He's worse than Trump. He's like Hitler times a thousand. Because, because they'll so, say DeSantis is competent. Right. Trump was incompetent. Right. And, and, yeah, and, he, and he's all like, thanks for the PR. Yeah. Yes. So what they do is they have to rehabilitate the person that they've already told you was the worst thing ever so that you can now You'll see this new version how as bad the, yes mm. so that's what happened to w got rehabilitated schwarzenegger but i cried and the reason i cried to answer your question what was going through mm -hmm. my head i thought again you're viewing things from this i was in this what i it was a cult perspective black and white us or them and then had one and it made me I truly thought what is humanity is what's wrong with humans. What's wrong with us. Mm. We're terrible. We let this happen. We let this Republican get elected and I viewed it. Yeah. It was a religion. And so it was like the evildoers have won. They're, they're going to ruin my state. They're going to ruin my country. I used mm. to write letters to W Bush about how awful he was. I followed the news religiously like a religion. Um, I, to be fair, I, he was a pretty bad guy, to be fair. To be fair, I did, <laughs> I did disagree. I was very uh, clued into the fact that the media was lying to me to get us to go to war. Then somehow I forgot all that. When Obama was elected, I quit paying attention. I forgot that CNN lied to get us into a war. I like really kind of right. just brain, my brain stopped working for hmm. eight years. I was hmm. like super like good guys are in office. I don't have to pay attention to anything. That's why I, I know that a lot of people in my old world operate that way. And because I did, and I saw them yeah. doing the same thing and I see them doing the same thing. Now they don't know anything about the supply chain issues. They don't know anything right. about the eviction moratorium. They're not following the news. There are guys and in there. Guess what? The rich ones amongst <laughs> them are not aware there are supply chain issues. They're yeah. not. Right. They're it's not because it doesn't affect them directly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally.
Totally. Oh, that was a bit of a tangent, but well, something I wanted to say to you before we get to some of the um, things in the news, but something you said about that show, you said, you said, Cameron, you thought Battlestar Galactica was uh, prescient because they recognize that the future is religious. And when you said that, I was wishing that Carter is here today because I wonder what he oh, would, that would about drive that. Him crazy. It would drive him crazy. But, but what I would say to him, imaginary Carter, when he watches this later, uh, is that just because you're, something is descriptive, it doesn't mean it's prescriptive. And I wonder if he would think that, yes, the future is is going to be religious, whether he wants it to be or not. Well, I think he I, would agree with that. I think he yeah. thinks we're all sort of hardwired to this delusion. I think mm -hmm. that's how he perceives it. And I love Carter, but I think that's how, and that's fine. That's how he would person, I can say we're hardwired, whether it's delusion or not, who cares? We're hardwired for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you, I think Lost had a similar ending. And I know mm -hmm. that there were some people who didn't like the ending of Battlestar and the ending of Lost. And I really liked both of those endings. Um, but Lost was sort of similar. To me, I thought that last season was about that, the afterlife and about... Um, well, you thought about it more, more spiritual. I promise you that. You, you, oh, you, really? you thought about it more <laughs> That's a question I always have, and maybe you can answer this or like... Um, I mean, Look, interestingly, Liz, Carrie, Carrie, you know, you know, you're friends with one of the writers from Battlestar, and mm -hmm. Cameron, you, you know the show. Like... There were things in the show that I would read or even when I would watch it after because I wouldn't catch it in the script where I was like, wait a minute, were they thinking that? Like, is that what that meant this entire time? And I, I'm i sure some of them think ahead, but I kind of don't think they do. Like, how far, how much do you plan like ahead seasons and know where the show is going to go and what you're going to say? May I answer that, Nikki? Okay. Uh, so I actually had this conversation uh, yes, just with, with I was pitching Fox a, pro a TV project yesterday, and I had this conversation with the executives, which is that, and I actually used the example of our good friends over at Lost, and I said, mm -hmm. unlike our friends there, I actually plan everything out five years okay. in advance. They, they said to me, have you thought, oh, wow, what a great pilot you've got here. Have you thought about where it's going? I was like, oh, I've thought about it. I'll tell you what the season end of season one is. I'll tell you what the end of season four is. Wow. I've already thought mm -hmm. this out. That, to me, is craft of storytelling yeah. i am not a believer in the in the let's make it up as we go along which is right it we saw what happened with the recent bad star wars movies it doesn't lead to a good outcome right and mm -hmm. the reason that ron moore had such a successful show that when i watched the final episode suddenly i was like oh yeah of course of course that's what this all was this hmm. whole time he's he had he had he had seeded it from the yeah. season one what the truth right. of the situation was uh and that to me is a is a craftsman as is a storyteller yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm very much opposed to the uh, I, I'm making because that's that's someone who doesn't. Well, what a, about the journey? Like, if you know the destination or you know certain milestones, are you flexible in like how it gets there? Or because sure. uh, you know, from what I'm told, and I I obviously can't I'm not in the writer's room. Like my character was supposed to die mm -hmm. in the beginning of the first season, and um, I think you stuck around for a while. I stuck around almost till the end. Yeah. And I, I survived being shot and biting a guy's ear off. And, um, and yeah, the character grew. It, it, it like it started because it was smaller, like fans, mm -hmm. I think got a liked, you know, yeah, she was kind of like a fan favorite at, at the beginning. And then, and then she became well, and, a little and more divisive, but. Your death was actually a catalyst in the final episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you know, when it actually led to the human beings getting to Earth, right? Right. In the way that mm -hmm. it played out. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But I'm always curious because some things just seem either just so 
coincidental or or like really cool or um brilliant in a way that I'm like, do they even know how brilliant this is? <laughs> well, well, Ron Moore is a genius. Um, yeah, but, for sure he look, is. For sure. He I mean, is. I can't speak for him. I know that the way I approach it is that you have to have the milestones. And yeah. then there, and that structure creates magic, which allows yeah. you to find possibilities. It's limits, which allow you to fi right. find possibilities. And okay, well, I know that I have to get to this point at the end of the season, but I want to do all this stuff. I'm going to do it, right? Yeah. And then it actually makes it, when you don't know where you're going, you end up actually, you know, mentally masturbating yourself and not actually yeah, doing things. Yeah. And so that's yeah. why for me, the greatest creativity I come from is I know what my limit is, what my end right. is. Well, how you do have I the constraints work? and then you add the spice or you're open right. to exactly. magic. Yeah. And, and that, really that cool. forces it, that forces magic. Otherwise your ego gets involved and yeah. it just becomes you talking to yourself, which I think happens at Lost and other shows. And, and I, I just love the fact that Carrie, you think the Lost had an ending. I was like, the writers are like, I like it. <laughs> What? I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna my, my family keeps asking me what the ending was. Can you tell me what it was? <laughs> so wait, so look, everybody in the, I think this is the most controversial thing I ever said on our show because there's a bunch of you in the chat that didn't like the lost ending. Yeah, that, you're the minority. That, you're the minority <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh do you God. know the, have you heard of the Akan faith, the Akan religion? It's an African belief system. I think it's spelled A-K-A-N. They, they believe in, uh, I know they're not the only ones, but I think they the believe Dogon. in- Are you talking about the Dogon that say we come from Sirius? No, that, okay. no, they believe That's in- another African tribe. Yeah. Spirit groups. They believe okay. that you travel that, and they believe in reincarnation, I think. And basically you travel in these spirit groups and you, and, and someone might be your father in one life and your brother in another mm -hmm. life, but you kind of come back to learn different things each lifetime. And you sort of agree beforehand what it is you want to learn. And anyway, the ending of loss made me think of that. I was thinking, oh, they're waiting in the church till everyone in their spirit group has died. They're going to go yeah. up, ascend to heaven together, and then come back. In and the writer's like, that works for me. That's all. Exactly. Like, <laughs> that's what that's what right. said. Yeah. <laughs> You're hired. I can switch that at the Bodhi Tree bookstore, yeah. right? <laughs> Well, oh uh, I love your so innocent funny. faith in this process. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and that's that's the beauty of art, right? You know, yeah, is that people awesome. will project their their meaning and and find things that are that you didn't yeah. even consider. Yeah, um, that's really cool. <laughs> Let me read just a couple of super chats because I think I have some things in here for you guys. Yeah. Um, Adam Coleman, hello, Adam. Adam, if you guys don't know, is another author in our uh, unsafe space community. He's got the book, Black Victim to Black Victim. I actually Victim. just, uh, his book was just delivered to me. Wow. Look at that. So, <laughs> what's up, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Adam, Adam says, I think it's important to use some morality when it comes to advancing science, i.e. cloning and AI. I don't want the movie Terminator to come to life. Yes. Why has the idea of AI being a threat been there since the earliest science fiction, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that because it is an archetypal fear that we have. And I'm going to suggest it comes from a race memory. We wiped out the Neanderthals. We shared this planet with another form of human for hundreds of thousands of years mm -hmm. and we took them out. And I would suggest that maybe, you know, if the Cain and Abel story, which exists in both the Bible and the Quran, you know, many people will take that as a literal story, but I'm going to say, let's look at the deeper meaning of it. What if it is an uh, allegorical story about the annihilation of our fellow hominids? 
What if the Abel Cain and Abel story? Because our evidence suggests that the Neanderthals were largely peaceful and we were the aggressive new form that arrived on this planet, right? And we took them out. And so the whole idea of, of Cain wiping out Abel who wouldn't fight back, right? Maybe there's a deep race memory we have of eliminating uh, an, a fellow- So, so we're projecting our own repressed morality? Uh, here is the next- And what, what if AI is merciful? We don't now, talk about that, right? No. <laughs> I promise you, I, I that's that, that there's only one way that's going to end, which is the Terminator. There's no other way, right. the, or the Cylons, yeah. There's sure. Cylons. Sure. That, and that's the point that Ron Moore made, which is that you know, spoiler alert for anybody who wants to show it's set in the yeah. past, right? And yeah, and this has already happened, and that was the point of saying this is happening before it'll happen again. And yeah. the whole final scene of Battlestar Galactica is modern day Earth where we're redo, we're recreating. The same mm -hmm. robotics that will lead mm -hmm. to this again. Mm -hmm. I really like the way your brain works. <laughs> See, you're the writer in the room, Cameron, who's already thought you have already thought of yeah, what but, the but, ending but, but, means. But actors have more fun, and and and, yeah. and pretty good. Nice hats have more fun. <laughs> writers are, you know, you can. I had this great moment when I told to Carrie yesterday. I was walking in in front of the park here in Santa Monica, where I live, and this dude came and was like, "Hey, hey, I know you." I was like, oh. "This guy comes up to me, he's like." You're on unsafe space with Gary Smith. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing! <laughs> He's rude. I mean, he didn't great. know who I was. He's like, I seen you talk, and you're really. <laughs> and I was like, this is the first time in history that a screenwriter has been recognized. <laughs> that's so cool. You, you're like, can I get a picture with you? <laughs> I couldn't believe this dude, and he was like your shirtless LA guy. He's like, hey, I've amazing. Seen you. I, like, oh, <laughs> I hope I hope I get recognized for being on unsafe <laughs> well, space. Yeah, well-known actress. <laughs> I do that. What you just said, can I get a picture with you? Because it blows my mind. The first time somebody ever recognized me from this podcast, I think we had, I think we only had like 5,000 subscribers at the time. So it blew my mind because I'm like, out of 5,000 people, I ran into you in this what cafe. Are yeah. What are the odds of like, so what, cool. can I take a picture with you? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That's funny. That's so cool. Uh, Okay, here's one more. So this okay. one, we maybe you have something to say about Nikki because I know we were kind of chatting about it beforehand. Mm -hmm. This is from G-Man. Hello, G-Man. He says, if either of you see Alec Baldwin hanging around the set, run. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking about beforehand just like gun safety on sets because mm -hmm. I yeah. I know with a with a real gun, you're of course you're taught, you're trained to always treat it as if it's loaded. So even if you know it's empty, you don't aim it at someone and pull the trigger. And I don't know how they treat uh, prop guns on sets. I have no idea. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? I mean, I think people might be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, very minimal training, but we'd always have experts if we were handling real guns. So, uh, you know, no actor was walking around with a real gun. Um, I had a scene, for example, where I'm threatening Boomer and... Um, not where I actually shot her, but where I'm just like uh, pointing it at her and it's a prop gun. Like it's it's plastic or whatever it's made of. It's not, not something that is dangerous in any way. But even that, you don't go around pointing it like that. I mean, to me, that's just common sense. But, uh, but there were times like when we were running from the Cylons when we landed on um, Kobol and I shot, I believe it was an AK-47, like I, and there was former military consultants and experts who would, you know, have it, hold it until right before we were about to film the scene, they would show me what's in the gun and, um, you know, like show me how to 
hold it and point it. And, and then when the scene was over, they would take it from me. Um, but, but you would shoot blanks. Like you would use real weapons and shoot blanks. It never occurred to me that it could ever be loaded. Um, yeah. So learning so about that was absolutely terrifying. Um, and it's just a tragedy. I mean, I, I feel really saddened by how people are, you know, going after Alec Baldwin or, or politicizing it or, you know, I think it again, going back to what we were saying of how the anger covers what it covers up. I think mm -hmm. like the fact that something like this could happen is just it's it's frightening. It, you know, it, it makes us realize like we're vulnerable. Accidents happen. And I don't know the details well enough. Obviously, there's clearly some sort of negligence. I would hate to, to think there's bad intent, but who knows? Um, that's yet to be determined, but in either, in any case, it's, it's sad and awful mm -hmm. and just kind of brings up our mortality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to build on what you just said about how actors don't often realize that the, the weapons are dangerous, but I worked on the show sleeper cell and it's a show about terrorists. Right. And so we had a mm -hmm. lot of weapons per much mm -hmm. everyone had gunplay. Right. And I remember being on set once and a younger actor who was, this was really one of his big breaks. Right. He started fooling around with a gun and I was and I went up to him and I and yeah. I you know you never want to embarrass anybody in front of people, but I was like, sure. I can't actually I can't actually let this go. So I went up yeah. to him and had to say very harshly in front of the crew, I said to him, don't don't play with that. That's you have to assume that's real and you have to yeah. assume it's loaded. And don't you dare point it if you point it at anybody again. Because he was just like joking around. I was like, if you I'm gonna have you removed from the set. I and mean, this is my job mm -hmm. as a producer. I was like, you know, because I don't know whether that thing's loaded. The, mm -mm. the armor, the prop master, yeah. no. I, as the producer, didn't even know. I was like, I'm going to assume this thing is fully loaded with real uh, uh, rounds and can kill people. And yeah. I don't want to be touching that. Uh, you know, you do it for your scene. You do it exactly the way you're told by, by the stunt coordinator. And then you put it back. And I don't want yeah. to play with it ever again. And I had to be that hard with him. And uh, because this is I'm not sure a he, I'm sure he didn't forget that. But I do think it's... Um... It's easy when you're not, if you don't grow up around yeah. guns, you don't, you know, maybe you have like water guns or you, like it, it, I can, I could totally see why actors would just be kind of delusional about it. Um, and I do think they need to be taught. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But right. it's, it's no joke. Mm -hmm. We've had Brandon Lee. When I was a yeah, kid, there was a, so there was uh, there was the the star of Voyagers, uh, you know, who who was this up and coming. Uh, John Hexen was his name, and uh, he was he, you know, he was his up and coming star that was about to become huge. And uh, on his first movie break from that TV show Voyagers, in his first big break in movies, uh, he jokingly put up a prop gun to his head in front of the crew and blew his brains out. That's crazy. I mean, that was that was like 1980, and I remember that oh as a kid. Because this guy was going to become a big, big, big star, and on his first break, he just had mm. he just went around and he blew so. his brains out in front of everyone. Yeah. So, I, I was, was telling you know, Nikki a story like that before we started. That was it wasn't a prop gun; it was a real gun, and it was a a guy who a Navy SEAL who took a woman home from a bar, and she was afraid of guns, and he was like, "Oh, it's empty. There's nothing to be afraid of," and killed himself. And that's why you know no matter your level of training, it's like your training supposed to teach you, you always treat it like it's loaded. Even if you've right. just looked inside and seen that it's empty, you treat it like it's loaded. So I, I just don't, I thank you for answering that. I wasn't sure how they treat them on site. I was wondering, do they tell you to like point off to the side or does it like, if it's a plastic prop gun, it doesn't, it's not the same rule. I have no idea what those rules were. So they, they uh, probably should if, 
if they can for the scene. Mm -hmm. I know the scene where um, where I shoot Boomer, like they, you know, it was kind of like Lee Harvey Oswald style where I just like jump up, bring the gun mm -hmm. up and shoot her in the stomach. Um, but it, I think that was just a little pistol type thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's probably, I think there's a lot to be improved. Um, yeah. With, with well, well, but the pivotal issue safety, is what, I don't know. The pivotal issue, though, yeah. Nikki, what you said, because I've experienced it multiple times. I experienced it when I was working on Nikita to go to set, and one of the actors had to fire a gun for the first time. Her role yeah. wasn't, she wasn't one of the spies. She was one of the backup, and suddenly she had to fire a gun for, and, and she got really like, oh my God, this is so great. I was like, yeah, but this isn't a game. And it's no, just, no. again, yeah. it's not, it's lack of experience, right? It's because you, a lot of, let's be frank, a lot of people in Hollywood aren't familiar with guns, right? You know, yeah. they, they're not, you know, no, and sure. uh, they're not Clint Eastwood, who is, you know, who has that as part of his life, right? You know, or, totally. you know, and so, and so they think it's just like everything else. It's just like a special effect. I'm like, well, and I had, I had kind of a, uh, a, a learning experience. Mm -hmm. We were, uh, I forget what episode it was, but we were like jumping on the ground. We were being shot at, we had our own guns and um, there was all these uh, like explosives going off around us to um, be the gunfire. Mm -hmm. And we had earplugs yeah. and, you know, I took my earplugs out between scenes or whatever. And they, they were counting down to the scene mm -hmm. and I'd forgotten to put my earplugs in. And I didn't want to stop the scene. Like I did, I didn't want to stop because they were already rolling, and I was like scared about mm -hmm. screwing things up. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, it's okay. It'll be fine." Oh my god, my face—the reaction I had because it was so loud—it was like a bomb went off, and my ears were like, "Ding!" You know, yeah. I couldn't hear, and my face was like, "Ah!" And they were like, uh, Nikki, cut. You know, I ruined the scene <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, Nikki, you can't. What, what's going on? Like, you can't react like that. I thought you were going to say they said super so realistic. Bad. No, no, no. I was not. I was I was supposed to be tough, not like, you know, spazzing out. Well, um, and, and that happened. I understand oh. it was on the, one of the Terminator movies where uh, apparently I might have been Terminator 2 where, where Arnold uh, shot shot off a gun uh, and, and, you know, and his co-star wasn't in and she was injured, right? And it, her years. Yeah, no, it's it's serious. Yeah. Linda yeah. Hamilton. So yeah. So Oh Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Oh, I love her. I do too. I hung out with yeah. her at a convention in Really? Uh, in the UK and she's just so lovely. Yeah. Such I don't know anything about her as a human other than that she has enviable arms. Like she does. Arm, yeah. arm day at the gym. It's like, yeah, like yeah. Linda Hamilton. So, that's my idea. Totally. totally. <laughs> but she transformed in the first movie. She's a brilliant actress. Period. But in the first mm -hmm. movie, she played a waitress who has to save the world. Like her son is going to be the future messiah, right? In first Terminator. And the second movie, after having gone through that, she's you see the first time you see her, she's working out with those arms, right? Yes. She's been a psychiatric institute, right? Yeah. And uh, but in the first movie, she's just this waitress who's being stalked by a Terminator, right? And she. Has <laughs> I mean, it's really amazing. That's, that's what it's going to take for us to get those arms. We need to be stocked yeah. by Terminator. <laughs> that's what will motivate me. So a couple more super chats. Big Ugly Clowno. Thank you, sir. Uh, says George W. Bush has always been our ally. I think, are you the person who always does super chats that are sarcastic? I think, I think that's, that's a sorry. I saw that. <laughs> I think he's saying, I think I, the way I read it is I think it's Hollywood. It's like it's like, it's like nineteen eighty four Orwell speak. You know, we've always yes. been at war with East Asia, right? Yeah. So he's always, he's always yeah, been yeah. George W. Bush. People are like he's a he's a great guy. I'm like, 
I have your emails from 2004, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a great. Yeah, would you like me to send you back your emails of what you said about him, which I largely agree with? <laughs> so. He's always been around. Uh, Mandy, hello, Mandy says the WB, uh, WNBA parade in Chicago looked like a Biden rally. I don't get that reference, but thank you. If you guys do, I didn't see that. Can you say that again? Can you say that again? Something about the WNBA rally looked like a Biden. So I guess the idea is it's sparsely attended. I think that's the idea. Oh, nobody cared. Okay. Thank you. I need you here to be my joke explainer. Your problem is you have become so earnest. You become so earnest. Right, right. Not your dark side of humor, which is what you did as a managing team. Right. Okay, I get some things. Let's see. TPS says Battlestar Galactica was amazing. Lost oh. was lazy writing. The cliche, it was a dream. I disagree, sir. But okay. The writers are so excited that they've got you on their side. Right. They've got Terry Smith, who believed in what they had no idea they were doing. Who are they? Are, have the writers, the lost writers, who who are they? Have they done other shows? I don't, yeah, I don't even know who they are. Abrams Club. Oh, okay, okay, it makes you sense. Know, Damon Lindelof created the show, and you gotcha. know, I've, I've worked with a few of them, and I'll just leave it at that. So, whatever. okay. <laughs> super, super Iron Bob for five dollars says AI, when trained in data from human behavior, is a uh, reification of the collective unconscious. Hmm. So I want to give you here is an interesting thing is I was on uh, you know the, the popular uh, fan channel Doomcock I was on his his channel mm. a couple of weeks ago with a Sufi mystic because you know I'm a Sufi which is an Islamic mystic mm. he actually brought on a Sufi sheikh like a great spiritual teacher oh, wow. and uh, and and we talked about this which is the idea and it's something that I shared which is the idea that AI itself would not become conscious but it can open it can be a Trojan horse through which interdimensional beings can oh, wow. this reality and take the form of the AI, right? Yeah. And this is something Carter would get really freaked out with if he was That's here. really cool. <laughs> Sufi mystics, interdimensional beings. He's like, that's not what unsafe space is about. <laughs> we, Cameron Until it is. This, this book that is really interesting. If you haven't read it, I would say check it out. It's called The Fourth Turning. We did that one for book club. And yeah. uh, because... I thought Carter was going to love it, but there's something about it that's also a bit, it's two historians who wrote it, hmm. but they are talking about thinking about time in terms of something that's circular and not just linear. And we already do that when it comes to like, you know, we reset the app, the clock every 60 minutes and we reset the calendar every January. And we, we think of seasons, you know, it's, it's something that is cyclical, but they were saying we have to think about it that way in terms of, human nature as well and in terms of history and so they sort of have the hypothesis that we repeat things seasonally the same way the seasons change we have almost you can think of it as like four different seasons for culture and we keep going through mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. and we're now with the winter season which is yeah. they wrote that book in the 90s and they prophesied every they actually gave the dates they said the 2020 would be the pivotal turning point where the oh, survival wow. of America as a, as, a, as a state will be brought into question. They prophesied the rise of someone like Donald Trump, uh, you know, wow. and it, who would come at exactly this moment to be a catalyst for it. They And they're the ones that coined the phrase a Generation X in that book. Oh, I didn't oh, really? that. They did that. The, the fourth turning, yeah. Let me see if I can find it. Oh. It's cool. <laughs> um, so this is not a super chat, but I just wanted to read this because I, I thought we might have a good conversation about this. Surly Unicorn says, oh, there you go. Yeah. There's the book. The you know, I want you to see my pajamas, awesome. so I shut off my screen. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm part of the pajama class. Someone, someone told us the pajama class. You know, we are, we are the pajama class that are basically do everything from you know our computers and we sit back and make make the you know the essential workers with their masks work while we sit in our pajamas. It's That's real thing. so funny. Business of chat party down bottom. So, <laughs> Surly Unicorn says, I'm not unwilling to have a dialogue with people I don't agree with. However, you can't have a dialogue with these people. A lot of them are nothing more than propaganda stuffed into an empty vessel. So, I actually, that's not a super chat. I just wanted to bring that up because it's something I, I wrestle with a lot. I do believe in having a dialogue with people who disagree with me because when mm -hmm. I was in that echo chamber of social justice thought, you weren't supposed to or allowed to. There are all these things that they, they even have phrases that they use to prevent you from talking to other people. Um, and so like, you know, that person has more privilege than you. Therefore the conversation can't be equal in terms of power or therefore you shouldn't have that conversation, but they'll say things to shut down conversation. They'll say, um, you know, stay in your lane, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, so I do believe in the importance of talking to people who disagree with me. However, I also kind of agree with this person. There are some people who, that it's impossible to talk with. What do you guys think about this? Well, you have to have a conversation or a meaningful dialogue, you have to have basic premises that you agree upon. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is that there are basic understandings or perceptions of reality or non-reality that we don't agree upon, you know, um, and that I think that's where it's difficult. So I think recognizing that as opposed to being angry or wanting to like, you know, being uh, vested in our rightness, but trying to find something that you agree on um, as a as a starting point is the way if there is a way. Um, but I, I it, it's it's difficult, and I. I, I think the other thing too is like both both parties have to want a dialogue. Yeah, you can't have a conversation or or you know progress or or gain greater understanding if if someone only wants to hammer you with their thoughts. That that's so I I guess that's the thing you need to agree yeah, on I mean, having. I fully agree with you. I mean, we're at a stage right now where people are just on, you know, especially social media has worsened it, where everyone's just pontificating to hear themselves talk, right? Uh, and yeah. every, everyone, you know, have proclaimed themselves the Messiah that has to be listened to. And so, you know, that's not someone you can engage with because they're not engaging anybody. They're, they're literally standing there acting to a crowd, right? And you know that as an actor, right? And they're, 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 that, they, they're performing. They're not even being real to who knows what they believe, but they're, they're it's performative. And so it's yeah. not about engagement. Uh, and so it's, you know, in my experience, you know, in Hollywood, I found that just changing the topic is the only way I can get through it, right? Is, you know, the, the moment they start going off on stuff, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. But yeah, okay. And and so, and, you know, you know, uh, what about this? And I just move the conversation away. They don't, because they assume you agree with them. They don't realize you're actually right, right. on the track. Yeah, uh, no, I, I tend to yeah. avoid certain topics. Yeah, for sure. it, it doesn't matter. Well, but the thing is, I had already, yeah. and I've said this on Carrie's channel before, I'm more outspoken now simply because I, for the first 10 years, of, and I've been doing this now 20 years, for the first 10 years of my career, I went along and played the uh, thing I just, you know, hid my views, agreed with mm -hmm. everyone, said all the right things. And I thought that would advance me just like everyone else, right? And only mm -hmm. discovered that who I was 
wouldn't advance me because when they found out that I was a Muslim, that's a religion that people in Hollywood actually don't like. You know, for all their talk of Islam, you explain that. What what was your experience in in uh, receiving that? I I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, so my experience, you know, I arrived. I was one of the very first Muslims in town. You know, and uh, and I was. You know, I guess that I was trying to play along with everybody. And at the time, you would think at the time there was an effort by Hollywood to claim that they were embracing the Muslim community because this was during the uh, the during the during the Bush era, during the Battlestar Galactica era. Right. This was during Mm -hmm. this time when the Iraq war is happening. And so Hollywood is always like, oh, Bush is Islamophobic and he's killing all these Muslims. And but then they like to do that from the point of view of the white savior. Right. Then an actual Muslim shows up and is in the conversation is a problem for two things the, the issues that you know and I, I like to call hollywood leafy lefi liberal except for islam and there's a reason because they project onto islam two things uh they project onto islam uh and i'm not saying that they're correct i'm saying they're projecting they mm-hmm. are they see islam as a very socially conservative religion which is mm-hmm. opposed to their woke narratives on social culture right. that's how they see it number okay. one. and number sense. and you know and number two they see it as a threat to israel which is an emotionally political important issue for a lot of people in hollywood uh that particular issue mm-hmm. and so they you know i've had people tell friends of mine no i'm never going to hire cameron because if i let that guy advance it's actually going to be a threat to the narrative that we need to have about the middle east right and so what you see right now all wow. of the shows, and I mean, that's a direct quote from a showrunner. The reason I know that is a friend of mine called me and said, I need to talk to you about this. He was a major producer, and we went out to lunch. He said he'd been working with this major showrunner who's had several popular shows that were being critiqued for Islamophobia and getting a lot of media and social media backlash. And so he was grumbling to my friends. Oh, these stupid people won't leave me alone on this or whatever. And my friend said, oh, you know Cameron Pasha. And mm-hmm. I knew gone to lunch we, he knew me well mm-hmm. like, you know, why don't you just hire him i've worked with him he's a good guy and he'll he'll fix the errors on your show so you won't get these critiques he's like right i'm not gonna hire cameron i don't want to fix the errors i know they're errors they're part right. of the narrative i'm constructing about the middle east that i want in my position of power to construct and this clown is going to come in here and tell me that's not correct i know it's not correct and i don't i like it this way and my presence catalyzed people to say that honestly right that okay yeah mm-hmm. i i know that you know this is incorrect it's not that I'm mm-hmm. ignorant, of it, but I need people to believe this because otherwise it's going to be a threat to things I care about. Uh, and so that is something when I discovered, mm-hmm. and it was actually when I discovered this, well, like I said, first 10 years, it was when Obama was elected that Hollywood said, okay, we don't need Muslims anymore. They During the Bush era, they became the white saviors of the Islamic world. We're going to fight this evil crusade against the Islamic world. Muhammad Obama was elected, a guy with a Muslim middle name, right? They elected, they immediately said, okay, well, screw these people. And then suddenly mm-hmm. you saw a wave of Islamophobic shows coming out, and suddenly all you show in the night in during during the two thousands, Bush the 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 woman wearing the hijab was the standard of rebellion against George Bush, and then mm, wow, the woman wearing every show about the, was about the woman taking off her hijab to get rid of right. her sexual oppression, right? Being like empowered, yeah, exactly. And and, and Muslim mm-hmm. people were like, you know, my my mother and sisters don't wear hijab, but even though I watch this, like, what is this? Right. Why is every single show about the young Muslim or, girl? Or people do as a choice feel empowered in choosing it. Correct. And and yeah. how it, it's defined. And then, yeah. the and so for 10 years, during the during eight years of Obama, my career came to a halt. And I was just struggling because people were like, yeah, we don't need mm-hmm. this guy. We don't need this guy for virtue signaling. Screw these people and screw this crappy religion and all this stuff. The moment Trump was, remember I told you I walked in and people were crying the yeah. day Trump elected? And I went into my office and I said, oh, my career is coming back. 
And my phone started wow. ringing because I was like, oh, we need to, that project we passed on four years ago uh, you know, about Islamophobia. We really need to promote that now. And so the moment Biden was- And then look, that woman with the hijab with the American flag hijab- Yeah, that, exactly, the woman with the hijab with the back became the yeah. resistance. My neighbor wow. has that picture still in the window, right? So the hijab comes back as resistance. The moment, the moment Obama or Biden was elected, suddenly it's like, well, Muslims are not fair to trans people. <laughs> so here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. We're the villains again. That's so <laughs> weird. I mean, I get it. I'm happy you explained that again because yeah, it's it's. I think well, it's, it's because they it's, they don't actually see Christianity as a threat. Now, Carrie, you're a Christian. They see really, I think they do. Well, they they they. It's a different kind of threat. They see it as something that they feel they've subverted American culture so that the Christianity is being, it can be mocked. Whereas yes. the, they're trapped with Islam because on one level, they got a virtue signal about brown people. Right, 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 <laughs> so, right. So they're trapped about what they can do. And so with Christianity, they'll always want to say, you're just a, you're just a white woman, what do you know? Yeah, that's It's true. important for me to, to hear mm -hmm. what you're saying and what, mm -hmm. what that showrunner said, because I think I, I always defer to assuming ignorance but to know that no people know what they're doing they know that it's incorrect and they are actively consciously choosing power over accuracy is um something that's hard for me to like remember because i i just don't i don't i'm not motivated by that i don't operate that way but i know that i interact with a lot of people who do and it and it's it's difficult um so it's it's a good reminder and and certainly hollywood is um full of of personalities such as that so well and there's know, another layer when we talk about the middle east and i want to be careful what i say here but i'm going to say it uh, which is there's an intelligence agency element to how the narratives are are occurring. absolutely yeah so there's a yep. great book for your for your uh, next book club because I always get I always give Carrie good books <laughs> the next one is read the CIA in Hollywood by oh, University wow. of Texas professor the CIA in Hollywood which is a look back at the history of intelligence agencies crafting Hollywood things it's not just Argo Argo is sort of the public thing you know it goes no, back no. to the OSS you know, Casablanca was essentially an OSS project because they were trying to rile up Americans to Americans didn't want to get involved in World War II before the before Pearl Harbor and Casablanca is before Pearl Harbor so they wanted Americans so the OSS is like hey why don't you make a movie about you know this American who's dealing with Nazis right yeah it, but I mean this and with the Middle East, the intelligence agencies have been directly involved. And let's just say that I don't know that as a conspiracy theory. I've had direct yeah. interactions with with those people, and they've and they've asked me at times to cooperate, and I have declined, which has not been helpful to me in my journey. So that is a wow. real phenomenon. In, That's in crazy life. that you're saying that because I just learned about that from someone mm -hmm. whose ex um, was a, a screenwriter on on some top shows, and mm -hmm. she was telling me how close they were with intelligence agencies and how that's basically how they funneled their propaganda and got, and then the writers and the producers had then really high level access. Like, it, you know, they gave, yes. there, there were perks both ways. And I just found that fascinating and made so much sense and also frightening. Yeah. You think about, I just saw the movie, um, well, I rewatched the movie, Thank You for Smoking which I hadn't mm -hmm. seen in a long time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I had seen it since it first came out and watching it now with everything that's unfolded and everything I've learned about human nature and about the government and stuff the past few years, I watched it and I was thinking, yeah, of course, okay, you've got these lobbying agencies. He's, they decide, the cigarette lobby decides to send him in the movie to Hollywood to get a movie made with people smoking. 
to sway mm -hmm. public opinion. And there's these really brilliant scenes with him and Rob, Rob Lowe but, uh, mm -hmm. in Hollywood. But I was thinking about it in terms of the government and, and what you've talked about before. Come it's like, of course, of course. It's not just the, lo the, like, the different lobbies who go out to Hollywood and say, hey, we can throw some money your way if you do this. Of course, the intelligence agencies are well, why, why public opinion. Why wouldn't huh? they be? Hollywood yeah. is the most powerful narrative creator on the planet. If I were an intelligence yeah. agency, why wouldn't I take advantage of this? It, no, I know. Once you realize, it's like, duh, of course. Why didn't I think of that? But I, I didn't think of that. that. Violates U.S. code about the CIA operating on no. American soil. I was like, you think no. they follow U.S. code? <laughs> you think? Can you I? Think can I ask you um, what you think of a show that I really enjoyed? Um, I, I hope it doesn't ruin it, but t tell me your honest answer. But I really loved the show Rami. Well, yeah, well, Rami, I, I respect him. You know, he's he's done an interesting job of presenting sort of where a lot of young Muslims are in this generation, which is, yeah. you know, the, the, he's actually done the middle ground, which Hollywood is still uncomfortable with, which because yeah. the the show isn't anti-Islam as a religion because, you know, Rami identifies as, as a Muslim, right? He yeah. might be a bit more progressive than me. No, he's, he's, he's having, here. I think, a modern struggle that anyone can relate to, anyone who's grappling with, like, how do I be what I think, what I'm taught as a moral person and then live in this modern advanced world the and values like, are indulge myself but also you know go to heaven or you know like yeah, all, exactly. all the things that people i think struggle with so i found it very relatable and him just yeah. like so uh, funny and and genuine and and it's so awkward and uncomfortable and in, in these wonderful ways um well and and that's yeah. an authentic real thing because you know i come from a, a one generation room i'm generation x right and so yeah. you know like i said i'm more traditional in my religious practice and all that mm -hmm. and when i arrived in this town there were really almost no one here but now here's a funny story two years ago before the world shut down in madness, I was invited i was like we have a young muslim writers group there's like 20 people we want you camera to come i was like 20 really 20 are sure right. I'll come. And so yeah. I went to this event and there were, it was a young man that I had mentored and he had brought to all these like young college kids who had gotten staff writer jobs and they were here. I was like, there's 20 people here. I couldn't even imagine that. And then we started the meeting and the meeting began. So everyone, please introduce yourselves and share your pronouns. I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? This is a Muslim group. Everyone share your pronouns. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I don't belong here. <laughs> oh, you're old school. Yeah. Like, I actually sent a message afterwards so saying like, I feel very uncomfortable with this pronoun thing. And I don't feel Islamically we should be engaging in this kind of narrative. And my friend was very offended. And he wrote back a very harsh letter about, hmm. you know, it's really inappropriate that you would say that. I was like, no, I, I actually do believe that from a religious point of view, but you don't share it. That's fine. Maybe this isn't the group for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's happened in Christianity too. So I've mentioned that before, but when, because uh, I'm a firm believer that the, the, the culture shouldn't leave the church. And mm -hmm. if you have a belief, even Carter would say, you know, if you have a belief, take it seriously. If you have a faith system, take it seriously. And, you know, that's if I were to go to a Christian group and they told me to introduce myself with pronouns, it would tell me everything I needed to know. <laughs> like, okay, I know what your faith yeah, system you is. You do your thing. Yeah, I do your thing, but that's not what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I have a, Beverly, can you put up the image I just sent you? This is in honor of uh, if you, Cameron, uh, because you were mentioning your gener <laughs> generation. <laughs> if you're just sitting at home and listening and you're not watching, it's a meme I saw recently of... Uh, Prince Joffrey, and he's looking very <laughs> aghast, and it says that he's a millennial Gen, Gen Z. I'm offended. 
And then there's uh, Tony Soprano, Gen X, saying who gives a shit. <laughs> you know what I'm offended by? Millennials is misspelled, but whatever. That's fine. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So, Classic. So on everything you need to know. Which coins a Generation X? It actually also prophesies that it would be Generation X that would get us through what is called the four turning is the crisis when civilization starts collapsing, which they said it started in 2020. It said Generation X, which is essentially the Breakfast Club generation that doesn't want to be involved with this crap, is going to be are the only ones mature enough to actually get us through this moment. And they prophesize that I... this generation will be the one that's going to have to save it, and they don't want to do it. I well, I I I believe that. I Carrie, I don't I don't know how old you are, but according I'm to Wikipedia, next. okay, I'm according to Wikipedia, I'm on the cusp of millennial, and I'm offended by that because <laughs> I I maybe maybe I'm you know just like to consider myself ahead of my time. I mean, I grew up watching Breakfast Club, obsessed with all those movies, yeah, yeah. all the the same music, and obviously. You know, my thinking is aligned, and I always had older Wait, friends, so that probably had Nikki, something to do with it. You but. and I, I'm on the cusp too. I either get called like the old a part of the oldest millennials or the youngest Gen X. But here's a simple test: if you mm -hmm. ask a person on the cusp, "What generation are you?" What are yeah. you in your? They know. You oh know. yeah, totally. Well, yeah, and it's it's so funny too because I um I tweeted when I discovered this. I tweeted um like that wikipedia tells me i'm millennial but i identify as gen x and i got so many people being like welcome like no you're cool you're good like all these gen xers saying like yeah you, you can be part of the this like there was it told me everything i needed to know about yeah which one do i feel most um that i ha similar right. with it's like because i don't give a shit you know, exactly. not... can I share with you an embarrassing story, but it's also a funny story, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I, on a show, I won't which, name which one it was, but on a show I was on, uh, you know, I generation next to and I was dating a millennial young woman, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, our show was just, let's say, a very woke show. And there were a lot of woke, woke, woke stores. And I made the absolute, absolute stupid mistake of, of inviting my girlfriend over to say hello, you know, at the writer's room. And the assistants all became completely outraged that she she wasn't 45 right and it right. became like a big issue like and you know that you know it's, it's like people are like why, why are you dating a woman so much younger than you i was like um why do you care why do you care and it became a real issue and it was just like well you know i i and literally they're like I, I don't know i feel i feel kind of a little bit threatened by the fact that a man on the show would would date a, a younger woman i was like what that's how crazy oh, yeah, some yeah, of these yeah. younger millennials are times have changed i will tell you that oh, <laughs> I, was, I was like okay okay i'm never gonna in and my, oh, my was like, i'm never coming back to your show it's like a weird vibe there i was like yeah don't, don't come back yeah, i don't think i think funny. the woke the woke have gotten i was talking about this so i have a friend in town staying with us who's got uh, who's a director and writer mm -hmm. and he's got a film in the austin film festival and he's like closet wrong thinker and mm. we were talking <laughs> about some of this stuff and he was saying is it seems to me the woke are sort of have regressed they're sort of puritanical when it comes to sex even yeah. Yeah. right like in some ways not in some ways they're very i think hedonistic they're puritanical in, about your sex life their yes! sex Puritanical <laughs> about, but they got something to say about yours. <laughs> yes, they have something to say about yours, and they're very puritanical about sort of uh, like there was this viral video of it, these this Irish woman who was being interviewed at the beginning of the pandemic in Ireland, talking about mask mandates, and this guy who a stranger who she had just met 
before they started filming, before the news camera started filming, they had met and talked and, you know, obviously clicked because he comes over live on the news station and kisses her on the mouth. And she starts giggling and is like laughing. She snorts and she's like, you better call me and stuff. And that, I remember that, you saw that video. You remember that? It was from last year. She's doing an interview. He's just a random yeah. stranger. And she thinks she's pretty. He walks up to her and just swoops her up. It's like World War II, that photo. Yes. Right? And, you know, he just grabs yes. her and he walks away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and kisses her. At a, and so uh, in the comments, that video, even though it was from last year, it went viral again recently on Twitter. And in the comments, people were talking about, oh, there's so many people about, he didn't ask for her consent. And it's like, right. she clearly enjoyed it. Why are you so... Mm -hmm angry and offended on her behalf for her right yeah right i think but, that's the but, thing but about your sex life yeah what were you gonna say nikki yeah uh no no just that people are so obsessed with with what everyone else is doing as opposed to for themselves thinking about okay what are my boundaries what am i comfortable with how can i best communicate that to not get into situations that are awkward or uncomfortable or whatever but like what other people do is their business. And I, I think that's that's a real issue in our culture, how much we're obsessed with what everyone else is doing. Yes. Who's fine doing it. Yes. You know? Well, you and, hit a pivotal issue there because it, it goes back to the founding of our culture. Before the founding of our country, think about what is the defining story of, of this continent. It's the Salem witch trials, right? You know, and that reveals something. These are people that escaped religious persecution, show up in this vast continent where they're kind of pushing the natives out, right? And they've got this whole area where they got more than enough space to be left alone, but they're not leaving each other alone, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, so mm -hmm. that, and that's been the inherent contradiction of American culture, which is that we have this individualist free spirit culture, which is very real, and we have this busybody element that was yeah. there for First people that landed on Plymouth Rock. Right? Yes, <laughs> I do think I think busybodiness is is probably like the best way to describe it, and the best. That's like the the virus, you know. That's the mind virus that we need to overcome. It's like wanting to control others. It's it's yeah. looking outside yourself and and oh well, you know what? I did want to talk about self esteem briefly since we're doing evergreen stuff anyway. Can you put up? I made a meme. Beverly, can you put up the meme that I made? I'm very proud of when, because I'm such a, I'm so bad at, I can't do Photoshop. <laughs> I want to learn it, but uh, I made this. I don't do technology. I I'm appreciate a you, technology person. <laughs> this right. is my vision. You do Photoshop. <laughs> uh, this is the one that Stuart Smalley, Beverly. Anyway, um, in this in this meme, what I was trying to get at is that uh, people are. I think I think there's been a shift in the way we think. Remember the self-esteem movement of the of the late '80s, early '90s, and Stuart Smalley kind of was a joke of, on on I'm that movement enough, that was happening. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. And it was all about yourself. Oh, I saw. Okay. It. You made this? I, I did saw, make I it. Saw it. I saw oh. it on Instagram, and I thought it was really funny. I, oh, you're spreading. Spreading. I was like, that's great. It's so good. Thank it's you. So and of course, the great Al Franken. The great yeah. Al Franken is the one that, that is yeah. at the heart of it. Yeah. So in this one, I said 1991, and you've got Stuart, Stuart Smalley there. He says, I'm good enough. I'm yeah. smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And then 2021, just 20 years later, oh my God. it's him and Martin Lawrence, and he's saying, say it. And then say he's, it. Made, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's, he's making Martin Lawrence say, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you. And yeah. That's so good. Good job, Carrie. Yes, that's that's yeah. where it is now because it's it's like it's not yeah. enough 
to to find self-esteem within which as a believer i don't even think you should we should be finding it there mm -hmm. that's we don't have to have that conversation i still think finding it within is better than forcing people outside of you to be the mirror well that, but that's not self-esteem like right. that that's instant gratification and that's that's esteem you know like that's external that's and it's you don't even know like you can think you know what people think of you by how many likes you get or what people say to your face but at the end of the day you don't know and half the time or 90 percent of the time they're not even thinking about you that much at the yes. end of the day it's, it's self-esteem is your belief in yourself. It's sure. what you're able to create, how many options you perceive in any given moment to respond to a situation. And that's something only you can control. Like people can help you and encourage you and support you. But I'm sure we've all had times where like everyone's telling us we're great and we feel like shit inside because we know we haven't met our standards, expectations or, or whatever. So I think- yes it's 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 really damaging and unhealthy and and that's something that um i was actually talking i did a twitter spaces with adam b coleman who you mentioned earlier and we we're talking about how we're normalizing things that are unhealthy like psychologically in our in our culture right now of this like need for other people to act a certain way treat us a certain way yes. that is only going to contribute to more and more misery and depressive tendencies and yes. like un being not self-reliant in ourselves. You know, something I've learned on this channel, it was actually something that you had, I think you had said you had learned it from someone else, but Carrie, you had said something that actually stayed with me, the difference between a right and an entitlement. And mm. a right mm. is something that you have within yourself for yourself. An entitlement is something that you require someone else to do for you, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have a right to an entitlement. You have a right to your right. So, you know, you don't necessarily have even a right that the world should defend you from the saber to tiger. You have a right to defend yourself from the yes. saber tiger. Second Amendment doesn't say that, you know, that, uh, that even though, you know, there's a reference to a militia, but it's all about personal self-defense, right? It's about mm -hmm. your right to protect yourself because you don't have an actual claim that, and we're seeing that right now with overloaded emergency services. You know, where people are like, well, I just, you know, they're, 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 let's just say for a lot of reasons, there are a lot fewer people working in emergency services because of certain requirements are being put onto them. Yes. So do you have a, you know, if they can't show up to save your life, is that a right? Is your right being violated right. or is just, you know, or can you, what can you do to save your own life? And mm -hmm. that's the difference. And our society is now focused on entitlement rather yeah. than rights. It's confused. It's flipped them. Yes, it says entitlement them. is obligatory and rights mm -hmm. are not obligatory. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's it's driving me crazy lately that the things that are actual rights, like your right to go outside your house and earn a living and protect yourself and provide for your family. We're being told you can't do those things. Oh, you, you know what? Yeah. Like you the, the, you, we have the First Amendment, which you think, OK, that's the First Amendment. It makes sense. You know, the right to freedom of thought, which is freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. freedom of, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Right. There's there's actually a point five amendment before that, which is the right to breathe. If there's any right as a human being, the actual baby is the right to breathe freely. Which, which we don't even, <laughs> like, if you want to really get down to it, we don't have them. Like, we don't have, like, we live in a country, then we have a constitution and we have these so-called rights. But at the end of the day, you can, you can be censored, you can be shot, you can't, like, it, it existentially, you know, we're mortal and, and we mm -hmm. don't, we're not entitled to anything. And one of the things that I think 
most people don't recognize is on the other side of entitlement is slavery. Yeah. So the moment you feel entitled to something and you're fighting for that, you're enslaving someone else to your alleged yes. needs. Well, you've hit the exact issue. What was the moral basis of slavery in Europe and the United States, particularly African, West African slavery is a very unique kind of slavery. And uh, it, it was very different from ancient Roman. I mean, we did things that nobody else did, like separate families and tear mm -hmm. children from their parents. And, you know, we did horrific things that even other slaves in other cultures didn't experience. And that all, came, and it was felt wholly morally justified because right. they were entitled. Yep. This is an inferior yep. group of people and we are entitled to their service. It's good for them. Otherwise, they'd be just lazy animals. It's mm -hmm. good for them to, that we've given them discipline. And you know, it's that's the basis of all of the, the institution of slavery is entitlement. Yeah, and it's it's something that I've grappled with a lot because I grew up in Canada, where we have mm -hmm. um, you know socialized healthcare and a lot of kind of um, societal beliefs around uh, goodwill for others and giving back mm -hmm. and things like that. And the reality is like what I believe is those things are good and should be nurtured in society, mm -hmm. you know, giving and taking care of others, but they should not be enforced. And, and that's the problem. Is, and, yeah. and again, like going back to what we said at the very beginning of this really dualistic black and white thinking mm -hmm. is that as mm -hmm. soon as you say people aren't entitled, suddenly you're, you're promoting people being left to die and not being taken care of, which is not the case. You know, you you can believe that you shouldn't be able to enslave people to other people's needs, that there should be exchange and earning and systems mm -hmm. set up and and not believe that it should all be, you know, socialized or or like that that people should well, you, you guys in Canada are full communist now. You're full communist oh my now. God, it's, crazy. <laughs> it's like it's East crazy. Berlin, you can't leave. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what's happening, and I, I haven't been there for for many years. So I don't know like how many dissenting voices there are, but a lot of people seem very happy to, to comply and, and it's, it's disturbing, but I do think it comes from like being taught from when you're very little, like when I had an earache, I'd go to the emergency room, like, cause it was free. I mean, it's not free because you, you pay for it, but you don't pay for it every time you go. So you, you grow up to believe that you should be able to just have those things and not thinking about where they come from. And I think, I mean, that process in itself is is obviously um, applies to many, many things. I mean, well, that's the, the moment the whole planet is now dealing with is the issue of medical entitlement, right? Yeah. And how then, you know, that's, and how you're able to say, well, if you don't have a certain pharmaceutical in your system, you're not entitled to medical service, right? And it's, it's just, and, and again, it's flipped as a right. You don't have a right to it, right? And so we're at this entire conversation right now where it's actually breaking down to, are we even, I mean, the only question I was asking is, any, is anyone actually entitled to, to medical help? You know, you're entitled to, to take good care of your health, right? But mm -hmm. you know, even in a medical situation, you've got triage situations, you know, the, yeah. and the doctors, even before this madness, doctors had to rationally choose who can I help, who I cannot help. The person's like, well, what about me? Well, you're going to die. So I'm sorry. You're not prior that, to the course, that's, right? that's a real thing. And again, the pain, like no one wants to just feel the pain of that. Feel that, like people are reckless with their health. People mm -hmm. are reckless in their um, the way they live their lives often because they want, they feel safe that they will be taken care of. And I think if we were more in reality with our mortality and how we're not entitled to other people's help and being taken care of, 
we would have a very more interdependent society. We wouldn't be so delusional and dependent about where things come from and what's going to happen if some, you know, if we get sick or hurt. Well, you've hit the pivotal. This is how civilization began. This is how we went from hunter-gatherer society to civilization, which is this concept not of entitlement, but of exchange, right? Yeah. Where, you know, we as proto-humans sitting around in the caves and in jungles didn't have any sense of entitlement. We knew that we had a sense to live and we could get a food if we could survive this environment. Then yeah. we realized if we have to interact with other people. This person's got something I need. What can I give them? And yeah. uh, and then I can get... And so the, the economics, you know, capitalism, if you want to call it, trade began mm -hmm. through, because we understood that we weren't entitled to anything. It's only yeah. afterwards that... And this is something that there is a critique of, of the modern capitalist system. You know, the, the critique, uh, you know, it, it's uh, Andrew Carnegie wrote this critique 100 years ago in The Gospel of Wealth. He became... He was this guy who went from a poor immigrant to the richest man in the world. But he wrote this incredible uh, essay, The Gospel of Wealth, like in 1896, talking about the dangers of what capitalism was becoming. And he said that because of the brilliance of capitalism, of modern capitalism, men like me, we end up getting all the wealth mm -hmm. because we've managed it all properly. Yeah. And yeah. the problem becomes then, then it becomes such an extreme thing that you'll have people demanding that we then give our wealth away. But he said he warned that if it's done through this entitlement, if it's done through yeah. a communist revolution, because he was seeing yeah. the rise of Marxism in the 1890s, he said, everyone's going to lose. Everyone's going to be impoverished. Yeah. So the only yeah. way that we can do that is that the wealthy must feel this obligation to reinvest. Yeah. Well, and it, it, assume, it, it assumes that... Um, people who accumulate wealth have no humanity. And Correct. there, I'm sure there are many cases where that's true. Like, I'm sure there are people who have no empathy, who want, who don't want to share their wealth. But I don't think it's in any way, shape or form safe to say that that's most of it. I think there are lots of ways that you can incentivize or encourage taking care of other people without doing it at you know by by force like we do with with taxes or you know social stigma and stuff so i think yeah i think it's a very slippery slope that people just they want what they think the result will be and they don't think about the implications and then they're mad when it has implications on them it's actually it's sort of a it, it reminds me when i learned about how people who are Christians, and I believe Muslims also, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, if you happen to know this, Cameron, but who, who give a lot to charity. And I, when I was agnostic and social justice and had a really negative view of Christianity in particular, um, I wouldn't have known that to be true. I wouldn't have suspected that to be true because I had a stereotype of what I thought Christians were. Sure. And that's one of the reasons I appreciate um, faith systems outside of a faith in the government because they encourage people to do that, to, to be that better part of like, what is human reason? What is a human? Humans have a capacity to, to care about others. And, and faith taps into that and the belief mm -hmm. in God. And, and I, think, I think people just sort of on the left, at least the part of the left I was in, they look to government for that. And it's sort mm -hmm. of, well, I pay right. my taxes. So right. why would I give to charity? because I pay my taxes. Mm -hmm. The government's doing it for me. Yeah. And I no. think that yeah. that maybe people don't realize psychologically that starts to affect the way you think about things too. You don't even realize it because you're not you're not actively choosing which charities or who you're helping or anything. You just yeah. kind of, I think there's no exchange. There there's a 
there, there's a there's a story in in Islam where where the Prophet Muhammad had outside of his house a bench, a bench where anyone who sat at the bench was given free food, no questions asked, right? And so one day his wife was like, "There's always these able-bodied dudes who could be working in the fields, could be working. They're always here getting free food, right?" And and he said to her, "The charity is for us, not for them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we don't ask any questions. It's to yeah. open our hearts." Right. Yeah. I don't know and and if don't anything, know. it's it's more like knowing that someone is say stealing, like if you could yeah. call it that, but still being loving and giving in, in some ways is a greater practice of love. It's not as like self satisfying. It's doing it for the for the principle of giving. Exactly. I think it's, yes. it's going back yourself. to what. Please. What you were saying, Carrie, I think relates to your favorite topic of self-esteem because people who have low self-esteem don't see a lot of options and they're often in this kind of like deprivation state. So it's it's you feel like if you give up, you're going to lose as yes. opposed to the the moral that, that you're saying, Cameron, of like when you give, you win. Yeah. And and I think but when people feel very dependent either on handouts or um you know the way that they currently live their lives that might not be plentiful or or, or they might not produce a lot then it's scary to give because you mm -hmm. feel like you won't give back that you're you won't be taken care of so you have to let other people do that and like hoard for yourself and i think mm -hmm. that's again like it's just a sad thing it's a very understandable human thing but it's um it it it's not forward moving, you know, yeah. and it doesn't it's, build humanity. Like it doesn't, it doesn't build trust. Like that's why I love things like Airbnb. Like there's a certain aspect of it that it's like, it builds trust with other humans that like we can stay in each other's houses and not like screw each other over or steal from each other. And I know that happens, but there's also something about it that I, that I, that I like it's encouraging. Well, My friend argue. had her bo her bong was stolen, oh, and no. her bong, bong, yeah. Okay. And she didn't want to report it, oh, right? And how do so you? Right. She ended up reporting it as a vase. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, it's like, it's like call the cops. Hey, man. Hey, man. Someone stole my cocaine. Whoever, whoever took it probably knew that it, that would be a hard um, thing to report. <laughs> uh, I think I just want to make sure because you guys, I, I really appreciate your time and energy and insight coming here to hang out with us today. I want to make sure I covered all the super chats. I think yeah. I did um, without Carter. Beverly's keeping me on my, on my toes. And was there anything that you guys wanted to cover? Because I have my list, but if there's something you want to talk about, let's. We can hit talk it. about Chappelle. We can talk about Chappelle's the oh, biggest yeah. issue in Hollywood right now. Yeah. So that's what my self-esteem thing was kind of getting at. Was that I think that they're looking to him to say this is this is part of this ideology where that's developed that I used to be in. It's sort of like if you don't validate me and make me feel completely comfortable, if I am offended by you. Well, then you've invalidated my existence and I won't be okay. Mm -hmm. Is that how, do you guys have a different take on what's happening out there with the protests? I, I mean, I watch Chappelle. I'm not the kind of person who watches something and remembers everything from it, but like, I don't even know what exactly he said that was so offensive or deserving of outrage. It seems to me like there's just, there's a group of people who want there to be um, an anti 
identity sentiment so that they can channel their angst and and their their hatred because like i honestly felt like his message was compassionate mm -hmm. i honestly felt Absolutely. like he was laughing with people like he made fun of black people jewish people trans like he he and, and i personally come from a place of like if you can't laugh at yourself you know like if i hadn't been able to laugh at all the things I've been through in my life, I, I don't know that I'd be here. Like, it's just, we can't take ourselves so seriously. And yes, there are serious issues, but what a single comedian says, it, it, that's not it. Like, we're, we're missing the point of supposedly what, what some of the people protesting, what they say their message even is, which is like wanting acceptance and tolerance and understanding. Like, they're not doing that. No, all. they don't want tolerance. They want power. I mean, there's that's yeah. what they want. And but actually, I think I'll tell you what it, my perspective on why Hollywood has glommed onto this, why the trades are obsessed with this, right? And why you've had some prominent, or not even a prominent, but people who at least would like to think they're prominent talking about it in Hollywood. Uh, you know, because it was the line that they don't want to look at, which hits too close into the heart of it. Where Dave says this, he says, "I don't have a problem with trans people." I have a problem with white people. And what he means by that is he says, now you suddenly have all these white men whose privilege I've called out for 20 years, now able to say, hey, Negro, you can't, you can't talk about me that way. I'm a woman mm -hmm. now. And suddenly mm -hmm. by becoming, by suddenly going from in the most privileged people in his argument in society to suddenly the most oppressed, the trans. Mm -hmm. And so, and we saw that in my view, with the response where, where you had where you had this showrunner who uh, transitioned this year and then you know for a netflix show said i'm boycotting netflix right and she's out there proclaiming i'm, bo I'm boycotting netflix for what he's done and uh to me that's an example of somebody who six months ago was a white man who's now a white woman yes you know <laughs> talking about the oppression uh to, to right. date and talk about shut up negro i mean that's 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 what he said and you witness it actually happening two days after the special come out, and Hollywood jumped onto that. I haven't even, I've never heard, as a writer, I've never heard of this person. This, and then the, and then the real audience reaction is like, Dear white people, a sh comedy of a show about black people is run by a white trans person. What? What? And then the audience, a black oh, that audience, was, like, what is okay, this? I didn't, I yeah, so, and so, and yeah, yeah. I've never even heard of this writer, but now this writer is being held up as literally like they've been crucified by 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 Dave Chappelle. Like, Who is this person? And guess what? They're boycotting Netflix after Netflix canceled their show. So what does that mean? That means but Dear White People was really I mean, it was successful in its own right. What I mean, the fact that they got however many seasons that they yes, but, yeah, but like, they didn't create the show. But in the last couple of seasons, uh, this white person who then became hard. came out as trans and transitioned later you know it was a white man who mm -hmm. then became a white woman ran mm -hmm. the show about black people that's called mm -hmm. dear white people and black people were saying on twitter it was like no wonder the shows like didn't feel real to me it felt like white oh, people, I see. Black people. Yeah. and so right, that's right. exactly what he's saying and now that person can no longer be criticized because now they're a white woman that's exactly what dave said he said i don't have a problem with trans people he's saying i have a problem with white people co-opting and he's also said this he said this he said if it was just if if you had black people and Latinos who are trans, all the mm -hmm. white people are shut up. We don't care what you think. I don't mm -hmm. care about what you feel yourself to be. Be quiet. But a white man is like, this is what I feel. And now See, we've got that's to where I think I think that's where he might get some things. Here's my thing about Chappelle's oh, special. Okay. First of all, you should know I'm talking out my bum. 
because I haven't watched it yet. And I only know what my husband thinks. I know what my husband thinks about it. Let me tell you. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was great. I, I, yeah. I loved I, his takes. There was what, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, here's, tell here's me. so basically what he told me, it seems to me that Chappelle and, and, and based on other things Chappelle said in public that he's, he's like halfway there. He, he, I think what he's missing is that he's still, he's buying. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Talking out of your bum is a very obnoxious noise, Gary. <laughs> is that Carter's wife giving birth? <laughs> is that what's but, um, you know, are we going the, live well, yeah. up the, the, the delivery room? <laughs> Aww, oh, I'm jealous. Just wanted to hang out. Doggy has an opinion Hi, on Chevelle. I was saying, was that Carter's wife giving birth? That's what oh I was saying. God. I thought that was going on. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> it's because our mailman is black, but if he were a trans woman, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> See, you still have a sense of humor. Oh, Even as exactly. an earnest Christian woman, you still have a sense of humor. Hey, got hey. you. He hates the mailman. Um, so, what I was saying is, I think he, I think he still buys into some of the ideology, and it, and it's this thing where you can see sometimes where part of it is wrong and faulty, but you can't see, you can't see it yet with that part that you buy into, and. What I would what you say mean, is that woke ideology because yes, you're still right like yes, black. because because what you're doing is woke ideology says that the best way to look at the world is as this competition for power among identity groups and you need to look at identity groups to figure out who's being oppressed in any given situation and the, I I feel like he still wants to do that sometimes when it comes to race it doesn't bother me so much I still find him funny but but I think he he can see what's wrong with it when it comes then to other quote unquote marginalized groups so like with trans for example he's like wait a minute so if they transition then they suddenly get to be the ones who have the power in the conversation because they're a part of an oppressed group now so they get to have a voice or they get to be the one who's offended and punching he talks about that whole punching down versus punching up mm -hmm. thing and he says trans people quit punching down at black people and i think mm -hmm. what he's missing is that whatever your immutable identity characteristics are whether you're black or trans or woman that doesn't actually tell me anything about whether you're up or down. It doesn't. You're pretending that that your membership to these groups tells people how much power, that there's some unique algorithm that you can plug in all the different groups you're in and it spits out how much power you have in the world. And that's just not true. There are people who... Yeah. Well, where Dave is right now, Dave okay. is, at, is at sort of early stage Malcolm X, right? You know, Dave is actually Muslim, by the way. He doesn't talk about it because he's yes. like, yes, you know, he is. He's actually yeah. Muslim, you know, and and but he doesn't talk about it. He's like he said, you know, because I'm not a very practicing Muslim, you know, you know, I drink or whatever. I don't want to bring dishonor to the religion by having my mm -hmm. name associated with it. Right. Like says, being like care. a poster child. Yeah, exactly. Like mm -hmm. Because I'm not a great yeah. example, of it, but I care about it. But but nonetheless, he reflects sort of that early stage Malcolm X, which is dealing with real issues of oppression. His entire shtick has been this for 20 years, right? Yeah. About, yes. you know, make, talking about, and that is a real phenomenon. I, I mean, there is still racism in the world. That's Where true. he will evolve to, which I don't know if he's going to be allowed to evolve to because they're not letting him out of this conversation, is mm -hmm. that final stage Malcolm X, which is that whole talk about black self-empowerment becomes a talk about human self-empowerment. Right, which is the mm -hmm. point where they kill Malcolm X. It's too much, right? It's right, too much. Well, and I think, um, I think I understand what what you're saying, Carrie. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I might, 
I might agree if it was someone who just like who just came on the scene and who's like just like being you know getting a whole bunch of fame for for you know their their shtick but like he's done I don't I, I was about to say done the work that's I don't like it that has like, a, different, <laughs> hey, a different meaning right you like, already in, said in, problematic I was right, taking okay, notes okay okay <laughs> 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 am, am I using trigger words um but to me as you just as you just mentioned Cameron he's been making this commentary for 20 years so and he was crucified for it. I mean, he had to disappear, walk away from a 50, $50 million contract. And like, he went through hell to, I think, stand up for what he believed in to maintain his integrity. And he's coming back to like, share what he saw. And those things are real. So there, there is, there is oppression. It's, People over overcompensate. People hijack the oppression narratives, and they use them in ways that they haven't experienced themselves, or or to, you know, um, get get things that they haven't earned. Yes, that that happens. But I do think, I I really look to him as, uh, I think he's wise. I think he's earned his perspectives. Oh, so I, agree. I think, yeah, um, I actually yeah. agree. He he when he would that whole thing. I think people who watch the show know what I think about this, mm -hmm. but. When he got called crazy for walking away from the show from he like got, three, he three got million called like dollars, a, cr a crackhead. He was like, yeah. they destroyed that him. was that was integrity because he felt he. I remember him talking about the moment where he saw a a white like elite kind of you know wealthy network person or someone on the set laughing so hard at one of his jokes that mm -hmm. and 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 in a way that made him question what that particular guy found funny about it. And it mm -hmm. made him start to think about um, about racism in a different way and about, I think, his comedy in a different way. And he took time to think. Now, whether you agree with, should he have wondered why that guy was laughing? I don't care. What I care about is that he took time away from, all the, walked away from all this money to get his head right and to figure out what he thought about things. And that's integrity. And that, even when yeah. the papers were calling him crazy and stuff, and yeah. it was like, oh, He's no, a crazy black man. He must be on drugs. Yeah, he's trying mm -hmm. to stay grounded. He's trying to stay grounded and not be yeah. um, one of these like people who's just run on power and money. And so okay, okay. Can I, I, can I completely I agree with that actually. But, and I reveal some, yeah. a little bit of stuff that's not publicly known about that whole situation. Uh, this was relayed to me by Muhammad Ali's daughter, who's very close with him, right? Who guided him a little bit through this crisis he was going through. Uh, you know, basically, without going into all the details, it, it was more than the situation of somebody, a white guy laughing very profusely at the black jokes. He was going, am I actually serving the power structure? He was essentially being offered this $50 million to do a show in which his comedy would be controlled and he began to recognize that it was he had reached the stage where the power structure is like we've got to co-opt this guy right yeah. we got to co-opt this guy so he can be the friendly black guy who says what we need him to say and he he said to her that it was literally sitting and i said i was felt like i was sitting opposite the devil when i realized the actual intention there and it wasn't it was literally being made clear and by the way because i've had those experiences myself where powerful people have said okay and, and by the way this is this is how it's gonna you know, mm. be and I and I walked away from the situation. I didn't walk away for fifty million dollars, but I walked away. And he actually went to Africa. People said, he, "What's he doing in Africa?" He went uh, to, to see a Sufi mystic. He spent months with him, meditating mm. and doing spiritual work. 
to clean out what was inside of him. He said, because he said the money was so tempting. It was beyond the temptation. He's like, literally, this is the biggest test from God. That's what he told me. He's like, this is God's test to me. That if I take this money, I will actually renounce who I am because that's yeah. they're gonna control my comedy. They're gonna write the lines. I'll be stuff. owned. Yeah. 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 And and mm -hmm. they had made clear what their agenda was. It wasn't to promote this conversation mm -hmm. he's doing. And he mm -hmm. said, This was God saying, if you take this, it's it's over. And he had to go to a spiritual crisis where he went and spent time with a spiritual master in Africa for months to work it out. Mm -hmm. so I think everybody is presented with this crisis maybe yeah. multiple times throughout their life. It's not always yeah. $50 million, but they, but everybody who's watching this can identify that moment where it's like, wait, is this a Faustian bargain? Like, am I? Totally. Because <laughs> I'm getting totally. this thing, but I have yeah, to Yeah, it could up. be a relationship. It mm -hmm. could be a job. Dating know. in Los Angeles has an old other story. I'm going <laughs> to... Harry knows. I've had my misadventures dating in Los Angeles. A oh, lot of Faustian bargains there, yes. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. I, uh, uh, I, yeah, I do. I have a lot of, of respect for Ch Chappelle and I hope mm -hmm. that this thing, here's, here's one final mm -hmm. thought I have about the whole controversy. I was thinking at first that he's too big to be canceled and how great it is that there's someone who is so popular. No wonder they want to control mm -hmm. him because he is so culturally, he has so much power, right? Culturally. Um, I was thinking he's too big for them to cancel. And at first Netflix was saying, you know, we don't regret booking this, you know, getting his special anything. It seems that they've turned a corner now where the CEO of Netflix is saying he's apologizing. I made a mistake. I should have recognized that people were hurt. Well, he's made I'm a mistake like, in how he communicated. He hasn't okay. gone all the way saying that. And so the, this is the, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I'm sorry. Do you Go think ahead. he's going to though? Because I'm starting no, to wonder. Okay. I don't think so. I think, <laughs> I think I think that the characters that came out and demonstrated walked away you know, they were interviewed and people are like, these people are weirdos. I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're like, these executives are walking out are like strange people. Like, they're like, why? Yeah. Chappelle is someone they, they feel they could have over at their house, right? And they there was that immediate recognition. This has nothing to do with us. I don't know what these guys are talking about. And Chappelle won't be canceled for this reason. He canceled himself. Yeah. He's like, go ahead and cancel me. I'm going to do little circuits like I did for mm -hmm. 10 years. You know, because mm -hmm. I, I canceled myself. I walked over 50 million bucks. He did. Well, and he already said that that was his last Netflix mm -hmm. special. Yeah. So he, yeah. he set that up. And yeah, I think once you've, if you survive the the bargain, so to speak, mm -hmm. I think you are uncancelable. I think mm -hmm. that that's, you know, you, you, you're tested and you know that you'll, you'll figure it out. And that, that's the most freeing thing yeah. that, that yeah. you can experience. But in terms of the ideology being so strong that Netflix felt it important to do a sort of mea culpa, yeah, that, that did surprise me though. I didn't think they would do that. I, I no, kind of was thinking- I don't know, Netflix really? is, yeah, I, yeah, I, and luckily there's other, I, I canceled my Netflix so long ago <laughs> because it, there just yeah. weren't, I would like watch trailers for an hour and be like, there's nothing I don't watch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I want to. I want to say one more thing before I forget. Yeah. When you were talking earlier about intelligence agencies and mm -hmm. the Hollywood entertainment, and I was thinking about Operation Mockingbird, and mm -hmm. which we know existed, and like we're supposed to believe they don't do. Stuff no one like in Hollywood anymore, ever right? heard it, by the way. No one. Oh, in they haven't. Oh, sure. No. And <laughs> the one doing it. Right. Like, ah, that's conspiracy theory. Right. Right. So I recently watched. There's a documentary out that I saw on a plane about uh, Martin Luther King and the FBI. And mm. what was interesting to me. There were a couple things, but one is that, you know, they were in, they were interested in him for the same reason they're interested in owning Chappelle because he had a lot of cultural power and they felt like he was outside of their institutions. 
the, mm -hmm. the same reason they were interested in in wiretapping John Lennon because he had a lot of cultural power and he was outside. Well, the same there. thing they did with Malcolm X. I mean, they were they were following him the whole time, and they're like, "This guy's a good guy. What the hell do we do? We right. try to find dirt on him. We can't find it." So yeah. So in case people don't know, there was something interesting in that documentary that they did. That I, it, of course, they did it, but still learning about these things, it blew my mind. The FBI they wrote a letter to Martin Luther King. They had, they had learned of his numerous affairs through their wiretapping, and so they wrote him a letter pretending to be one of his fans a black person who was one of his fans. And they basically said, we know, I, I know all about what you've been doing and I'm gonna release all this to the media because you're a hypocrite and a, fa a false shepherd, false prophet, and you should basically kill yourself. They sent him that letter pretending to be a black citizen who wanted him to off himself because of his hypocrisy. Yep. The FBI did that. <laughs> Like, well, I, I can tell you things the FBI did against me personally yeah, had, that would blow my blow mind. mind. I mean, wow. innocent people are in prison because the FBI is willing to go to such lengths to control narratives, to um, be right, to be perceived as taking down bad people in the media. It's it's it is it's it's like as much as we know it's sort of like we know the media lies but until it happens to you or until you, you like really see it with your own eyes it's it's um it's tough because the other side of that is recognizing we don't live in a free country the other mm -hmm. side of that is recognizing like you can live by all the rules and still have your liberties taken away your your life can still be at risk and waking up every day in that reality is hard. Like we'd rather believe that law enforcement is there to protect us. We'd rather believe that if I was acute, wrongly accused of something that it would, I would be exonerated because we have due process. Um, I would like to believe that, but my own experiences have taught me that's not the case. And that's, that's a, it's a tough thing to get used to, but once you understand it, once you accept it, then you, you can, you know, make better decisions because you know what you're dealing with. But if the government's not your God, Nikki, then who <laughs> is? That's what people, I think people are so afraid of losing their God. You know no, what I mean? It's losing true. And I, and I think that relates to the earlier thesis of, of um, the future being religion. I think I, yeah. because that can apply to many things, sure. you know. Well, we're living in a religious world right now where all these people exactly. that hate religion are, are, are following blind dogmatic, or, yeah. yeah, not science yeah, yeah. and are telling you. I mean, it's like you're back, you're back. And I feel like Copernicus trying to tell people you're all crazy and, and everyone else around. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's yeah, your new of nickname. Course, yeah. Of course, it's not <laughs> You know, you heard it. No, but but you know, building what you said, Nikki, look, you know, this whole thing that's happened with January 6th, right? And the, this, this yeah. incitement, whatever, you know, it's, it's when that happened, when that day that that happened. I remember saying Hollywood people, I was like, you know, this looks like uh, FBI entrapment. I said that on January yep. 6th. I got, a, I got no camera, you're a conspiracy theorist, but MAGA <laughs> people, they're breaking. I was like, I was like, well, because we Muslims have known this for 20 years, that whenever exactly. the guy goes up to the mosque saying, hey, guys, let's make a bomb. That's an FBI dude. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's, we know 100%. this. Whenever the dude shows up at the mosque, he's like, young people rally to fight the evil Satan, you know, government of Satan. I was like, FBI, FBI. Away, FBI. stay away. Yeah. Oh, Did you see that document? There's a documentary. I just want to share it. You maybe you know. It's called Terror. It's with a T and then um, parentheses around error. 
And it basically, it documents how uh, an FBI, they have an FBI informant and they try, they basically set up this um, white guy who converts Mm -hmm. um to islam and like set him up but it's really interesting what unfolds in the documentary and that that i saw several years ago and that was kind of like something that that woke up a part of my brain of how just unjust unjust things are and 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 what they're willing to do to innocent people that yeah you're right like many communities have known for centuries yeah Yeah. i mean look this is this goes back to j edgar hoover he was doing this since the beginning of the fbi right that's how he controlled over congress yeah is he had blackmail on everybody in the movie malcolm x one of my favorite movies uh you know spike lee has this great moment to refer to what carrie said where near the end where where malcolm knows he's going to be assassinated and he Mm -hmm. calls his wife he has this very loving conversation with her, how much he misses or misses their daughters because you know he doesn't know they're gonna be alive tomorrow, right? And he calls her, and then suddenly, the only time in the movie you cut away from Malcolm to the FBI, and they're listening and they're <laughs> laughing. They're like, This guy's a monk compared to King. I mean, King's having gangbangs and orgies. This guy's calling his wife, How much I love you, and they're, but they're listening in the whole time, yeah. and you know it's gonna end really badly from him because yeah. now you know the FBI is listening and it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a book about uh, what you were talking about, Cameron. Thank you for that documentary recommendation. I want to see it. I haven't hadn't even heard of that. There's a book called Management of Savagery that we read for book club by Max Blumenthal, who is, I would say, he's he's on the left. And I think that's actually even better to read it from someone, if you're on the right, read it from someone who's in a different political camp than you on some issues, because he is basically going through and talking about um, U.S. involvement in, well, in terror cells. And, yep. you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about, but also abroad, all of our um, actions abroad. It, it, I don't know. It was eye-opening for Al-Qaeda. I mean, it was yeah. actually Al-Qaeda. It was like, oh, and then they like, oh, let's change our name because American media is going to figure out it's Al-Qaeda. So they changed their name to Al-Nusra Front. But it was Al-Qaeda. So CIA is like, here's some money for Al-Qaeda to overthrow the Syrian government. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah what, uh, so you guys tell people where they can find you online if they want to hear more from you. Nikki. Sure. So I I can be found um, mostly day to day on Twitter at Nikki Klein. And I also have a locals community, NikkiKlein.locals.com. Um, Instagram. I'm, tr- I'm trying to use Instagram a little more. Uh, I haven't I haven't really done it yet, but I want to use it more to like express my views. I've used it more for like pretty pictures of sunsets and things like that in the past. So if people want prefer that um, venue. They can find me there, too. Uh, I am also on Instagram, but I, pri- you know, it's my name, Cameron Pasha 72, but I promise you that to, to look at attractive people. And, and I'm great now because now <laughs> my likes are hidden so I can like whatever I want. Nobody knows. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's a thing? My mom will be looking and go, why do you like that picture of that girl? I don't like. You know, oh my God. That's but the, the, the best way to interact is now that I've been kicked off of Twitter for being a, a salty Muslim guy uh, and posting pretty girls, they didn't like that either. So whatever. So I, 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 I have that off Twitter. The best way to actually interact with me is I have a Patreon that's actually become very successful. I share a lot of my perspectives on Hollywood, a lot of stuff that I can't say publicly. And I say a lot of crazy things publicly on on the things like Unsafe Space, but on my private Patreon, I share a lot of stories about experiences I've had in Hollywood, which would shock people. So come join me there. There's a lot of insider perspective. And I'll I'll put the link in there. It's just Patreon slash my name, Cameron Pasha. And and it's become a bit of a community. So so it's all good. And and, that's cool. I didn't know that. We'll put that in the description for this video. But you guys check it out. Thank you so much for joining us, both of you. I'm happy you got to meet each other. Yeah, and likewise. It's, yeah. I followed you on Instagram. Yeah, are you in so. LA? Are you nearby LA? Are you no, LA? not not right now, but um, right. but sometimes. Well, we'll so we'll connect sure. for yeah. sure, definitely. Cool. Bye, okay. guys, and thanks Bye. everybody in the chat thanks for being with us. Thanks everyone for joining.
Yeah. Oh, and go to our website, Unsafe Space. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> anyway. Bye, guys. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and scheduled for ideological vaccination. To avoid cancellation, please update your ideological contact tracing app on your smart device immediately. Here's a fun fact. Only vaccinated black lives matter. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.